I'm the operator with my pocket calculator. Welcome once again to Radio in Vivo, your link to the Triangle Science community here on WCOMLP, Chapel Hill and Carborough. This is Ernie Hood. I am a freelance science writer, and each week here on the program, we bring you cutting-edge information about what's going on in science here in the Triangle area, one of the world's leading hubs of scientific research, development, and innovation. You can email us at radioinvivo at earthlink.net, and you can access a full archive of our hundreds of past programs over the past 13 years at radioinvivo.net. The Burroughs Welcome Fund is a Golden Voices underwriter here on WCOM and Radio in Vivo. The Burroughs Welcome Fund supports excellence in science education across North Carolina. The fund believes that providing students with engaging and interactive curriculum helps to spark curiosity for careers in science, mathematics, and technology. You can learn about education grant opportunities for North Carolina schools and teachers at www.bwfund.org. Radio in Vivo is underwritten by Chapel Hill Eye Care, located at 235 South Elliott Road in Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill Eye Care provides comprehensive eye care to people of all ages. Healthy eyes for a lifetime. Chapel Hill Eye Care, 919-968-4774. Radio in Vivo is also underwritten by the Triangle Center for Evolutionary Medicine, or TRISEM, a nonprofit center exploring the intersection of evolutionary science and medicine. TRISEM is jointly operated by Duke University, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, North Carolina State University, and North Carolina Central University. TRISEM is an incubator that promotes innovative developments in the theory and practice of evolutionary medicine by fostering cross-disciplinary collaborations among triangle-based scholars, physicians, public health workers, and more. Radio in Vivo is supported by NC State University's Genetic Engineering and Society, or GES, Center. The GES Center is shaping the futures of biotechnology by integrating scientific knowledge and public values. Now live-streaming weekly colloquia. For more information, visit go.ncsu.edu slash GES. Or follow the center on Twitter at at GES Center NCSU. And finally, Radio in Vivo is underwritten by Gene Centric Therapeutics Incorporated of Research Triangle Park. Gene Centric is pioneering the advanced classification of cancers for more effective drug development and more accurate diagnosis and treatment of patients through its core technology, the Cancer Subtype Platform. More information is available at genecentric.com. WCOM and Radio in Vivo thank this terrific group of underwriters for their support. I'm the operator with my pocket Let's say you've lost an arm in an industrial accident. You've suffered a massive heart attack. Your spinal cord has been severed in an automobile accident. In any of those scenarios, certain animals are capable of regenerating the lost tissues and restoring functionality, but not people, at least not yet.
but in the not-too-distant future, that may change. On this edition of Radio in Vivo, we are going to learn all about the exciting world of tissue regeneration by speaking with one of the world's leading researchers in the field, Dr. Kenneth Poss from Duke University. Ken is currently the James B. Duke Professor of Cell Biology and Director of the Regeneration Next Initiative at the Duke University School of Medicine. He earned his B.A. in Biology from Carleton College in Minnesota in 1992 and his Ph.D. in Biology at MIT in 1998. He did postdoctoral research with Mark Keating, first at the University of Utah and then at Harvard Medical School. He joined the Duke faculty in 2003. Ken Poss, welcome to Radio In Vivo. Thanks. It's great to be here, Ernie. Ken, I often like to start these interviews by establishing a, a sort of knowledge baseline that will help our listeners understand and appreciate the scientific information to come. Along those lines, I'd like to start our conversation by asking you to provide a working definition of tissue regeneration. What exactly are we talking about here? Well, um, I'd like to think of it uh, of, of an inclusive um, definition. So, um, very broadly, it's the re- replacement uh, of lost body parts. And um, if you think about regeneration it, it, and um, how it occurs across uh, different animals, um, it, it's usually the case where it's a certain degree of Regeneration. So, for instance, our our heart muscle, humans or mammal, mammals in general, we have a, a a very limited ability to regenerate, say, lost heart muscle cells uh, after a, a heart attack. But there is some slight degree. Most people think. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, if if you think about uh, a salamander or the animals we study, a zebrafish, they have um, a, a a pretty remarkable ability to regenerate large amounts uh, of heart muscle. Uh, uh, each, ha- each regenerates, but it's, it's, on, it's on a gray scale. It's, it's not, not black and white. I see. Okay. Uh, well, how did tissue regeneration become the focus of your research? What, what brought you to this table? Well, it's, it, it's a huge challenge. And when I decided to study this uh, about 20 years ago, uh, there are actually very few laboratories uh, who are looking at questions of how a salamander regenerates an amputated limb or how we might regenerate heart muscle or brain tissue someday. And, 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 and that's because um, I think that field of tissue regeneration hadn't entered yet um, the era where you could apply um, a very modern uh, tools in, mm-hmm. in, in biological research. Um, and uh, so many of the big questions uh, were still unanswered. I, I, think, I think they still are today. It's, it's a real challenge, and I think any, any scientist loves to, you know, to, to see these challenges and, and wonder what they can do mm-hmm. uh, to change that. Gives you a lot to chew on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, well, I know that you uh, conduct most of your research on a model organism that has become increasingly important in biomedical research, uh, which you mentioned, called the zebrafish. Uh, tell us about those critters and why you work on them to explore tissue regeneration. 
Well, so zebrafish became uh, a popular model in laboratories about 25 years ago. And um, the reason people study them initially is um, they're great to maintain in the lab. You can keep tens of thousands. They're about uh, an inch, inch and a half. They survive well. They breed every week. They give rise to 200 embryos routinely that you can study. Mm -hmm. And they're small, transparent, and they develop all of their features really, really quickly. So you can study how an animal's heart or brain develops uh, within just a few days after uh, the, the embryos are, are, are fertilized. Um, uh, more, more recently, they've become a, a really popular model for tissue regeneration. There, there are hundreds of, of labs around the world who, who study biology in, in, in zebrafish, and again, mainly for how they develop as, as embryos, develop their key organs. But um, the, the great thing about it is they, as adults, they also are one of the most highly regenerative animals we, we know of. So if, if you amputate their fins within a week or two, you get essentially perfect regeneration uh, of, of the structures they've lost. If you cut their uh, spinal cord in an experimental model of, of paralysis, the animals become paralyzed. But th the good news is that within a month and a half, uh, they're swimming around like, like nothing ever happened. Wow. <laughs> and uh, you know, as I mentioned, you can remove large portions of their heart. And while we would develop a, a scar and, and, and it would... Uh, in, in many cases, lead lead to heart failure uh, in in humans and mammals. Uh, zebrafish are one of those that that just regenerate back the muscle um, again with, within a short period of time. And and so th there's there's a lot of information there that we think can can guide how to how to trick our own tissues in, into regenerating. So, what types of tools do you employ in your experiments with zebrafish? Well, it's it's a great era in biology and in, in genetics research where one can you know, quite, quite literally uh, make any type of genetic change in, in um, a laboratory research animal in, in order to test whether you know, that change in, in, in a gene can, can impact um, you know, some biology like the process of regeneration. So in, in zebrafish, as I mentioned, there's a huge community of labs developing ways to um, manipulate um, genes that, that might be important, say, uh, for example, in, in, in regeneration. So a basic thing we like to do is um, to create mutations and, and see whether a certain gene is essential for, say, uh, an animal's ability to, to regenerate uh, its, its fins. And, and then if we, if we know this catalog of genes that are important, for regeneration, we, we might be able to, or, and others can, uh, look and see what's happening, say, in, in an animal that doesn't regenerate so well. And, and I, I think that's, that's kind of the, the main line of, of, of work that, that, that we do. I see. So do, do you use, like, for example, CRISPR gene editing uh, to manipulate the genome? Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. for, the, for the last two or three or four years, um, now that's, that's been a, a routine process and, and uh, it's it's revolutionized um, both um, you know, work with zebrafish and also regeneration research I, I imagine it's made your life a whole lot easier yeah well um, it, it has but also there are now so many more things you can do mm -hmm. uh, that uh, sometimes the you know the, the problem is deciding where, where to put your energy 
Indeed. Well, uh, Ken, what are the potential benefits of enabling regeneration in humans, and how might that work? Well, that, I mean, that's a key question. So there's the science, there's the, there's the challenge of understanding how an animal, after it loses its limb, can know, for instance, what to do and how much to grow back and then to stop. So there's the, there's the science of it that's, mm-hmm. that's fascinating. Sure. But the, the implications are, are, I think, you know, I mean, just as or, or more important. If you think about human regeneration, we can regenerate a lot of things really well. I mean, so our, our liver um, can re- remove massive amounts of our liver, and within a couple of weeks, that, that can regenerate. Uh, skeletal muscle, our, our muscle is, say, 40% of our total mass. It's also extremely regenerative. So okay. if an injury to muscle can can regenerate well, and, and we have a population of stem cells that that enables that. And then our blood, our skin... Um, you know, many regenerative tissues, but right. the, the, the catch is that we, we also have many that, that don't regenerate well, and, and that is a, a major impact on, 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 on human life. So um, just for some numbers, maybe, maybe 10 to 15,000 people a year have a, a, a spinal cord injury that's paralyzing. Um, there, there's no medicine now that will um, change that, will reverse that. Um, if you think about neurodegenerative disease, um, um, maybe uh, 5% of all people over 65 have some type of neurodegenerative disease like, like Alzheimer's. And we, we really, there's no medicine to regrow neurons that have been lost through a neurodegenerative disease. Sure. Um, um, I have uh, very little cartilage in my right knee. Um, and um, the same could be said for you know, 10% or more of everyone over a certain age, like 60. There's no way to regenerate knee cartilage. So there are, um, uh, that's a massive market, and it's a, it's a massive problem. Mm-hmm. And it could go on and on. And so, th- so right now there are um, knee replacements, heart transplants, and getting on a long transplant list, there's, there's little one can do about Alzheimer's disease. Um, but, um, you know, look, looking forward, um, if we know how to, in a controlled way, uh, regenerate these, these tissues, um, it, it, it could uh, really change life as, as we know it and, and lifestyle. So, so there's a lot to get excited about, it, it, the science plus, plus the implications well, and it gives you, uh, we already mentioned you have a lot to chew on. Those are some massively huge goals that you have there as well. Yeah, the go- goals for a growing, a growing field and a lot of um, you know, young, young people thinking about uh, science and, and engineering. Um, this, this is a, a, a problem to, to think about early and uh, to, to, to sink your teeth into. And, and you know, this... This this will be around for for for, for many years, but but ultimately, I, I I think there'll be a lot of changes in in medicine and in surgery that that come through knowing more and more about about how to regenerate. Sure. Well, um, can our 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 stem cells involved with the process? I mean, I know there's been some success in treating spinal injuries with stem stem cells recently, uh, hasn't there? 
Um, well, uh, I, I mean, there, there, there's promise in, in all, all different approaches to regenerative medicine. You, you can put this into to different bins. Now, so, some, some tissues have a, a stem cell that um, a com- compartment or a, a population of, of stem cells, and their their job is to make more of their own to renew themselves, but but then also to make uh, the the key cells that 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 make up a structure. So, the so-called satellite stem cells in in our skeletal muscle, uh, they they sit in a in a compartment and largely are, are are quiet for a while, not doing much. But if there's an injury, they'll pop out. And turn into uh, a um, uh, a different cell type called a myoblast, and and that will go on to make muscle and and, and participate in in regeneration by by fusing to existing muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, our blood has uh, stem cells that continually make blood. Skin has stem cells, um, but not not all tissues do. So um, if you have um, so, for instance, the the, the heart is um, has been in in the news for the last twenty years. Groups uh, trying to identify, let's say, in an adult mammalian heart, a population of stem cells that might be like those that I just mentioned in in skeletal muscle, uh, with the idea that they could be harnessed, purified, um, injected back into the heart of someone, let's say, who's lost muscle from a heart attack. And that idea has spun around for many, many years. Uh, but ultimately, I think the consensus is there, there doesn't seem to be a significant cardiac or heart stem cell population. And probably the best approach to heart regeneration is more along the lines of how, for instance, we, we have found that, that zebrafish do it. And that is try to make the muscle cells you have the ones that are spared by the injury, try to make them divide and produce more on their own. Mm-hmm. So Which they normally would not be doing. They, they normally don't do that actively, okay. uh, although it is possible. Mm-hmm. And some, some, some they, um, heart muscle cells will divide to grow the heart at a very young stage in life. But as, um, let's say, in, in mammals and humans, as, as one ages, their ability to divide... And um, the incidence of their, their division goes goes down and down and down. Uh, but I, I think there's every reason to think that that, that could be woken up okay. uh, the, the more we, we, we learn about tissue regeneration. That sounds very exciting. Well, uh, Ken, I'd like to dig deep into your uh, research in, in the three distinct areas in which you concentrate. Uh, heart tissue regeneration, which you've, you've already touched on, uh, appendage regeneration, and spinal cord tissue regeneration. Let's start by digging a little deeper into the uh, heart tissue regeneration. Uh, that, that would just be a major step forward, wouldn't it? I, it, it would, for sure. And, uh, and, and I, th- I think that the community is really optimistic about uh, achieving therapies for for heart regeneration um the 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 impact would be huge so just in this country um you know hundreds of thousands eight hundred thousand people each year have a heart attack that means losing hundreds of millions of heart muscle cells that 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 you you uh, only get back a tiny fraction of um 
And it means a scar forms in your heart and you have a higher chance of getting an, another heart attack, yeah. higher chance of getting heart failure, mm-hmm. higher chance of ending up on a, on a transplant list. So if you could regenerate muscle, um, that would um, uh, potentially be a, a, a game changer. Uh, well, I, I want to, a couple of times along the way here, I want to read back a couple of uh, things you have written and quote them to you and get you to kind of unpack them for us. And this is this is the first. Um, I understand that this, this process with heart tissue regeneration uh, does not actually involve stem cells, as we were just talking about, but what you characterize as an activation and proliferation of spared cardiomyocytes. Would you explain that for us? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a a, a fairly simple mechanism that um, we want to try to understand. But essentially, if you uh, let's say a, a, um, you have an adult zebrafish, we, there there are many ways you can experimentally model a, a heart injury can by um, clipping off a part of uh, a part of the heart. Um, you can genetically kill heart muscle with Using molecular tricks, or or you could um, you could freeze a large portion of the ventricle instantly. So many different ways, like like that. And um, what it does is remove or or destroy um, heart muscle, but it leaves some that are spared mm-hmm. um, that uh, could be similar to uh, heart muscle cells in the border zone of, of someone who's had a a heart attack. There's there's uh, a massive area of death. Of cells of tissue, but but then um, as you um, radiate out from that, there's uh, the, there's there's living tissue, and it it's in those areas, the border zones, say of a of an injured zebrafish heart, that there's some signals that we we've been studying and looking for and characterizing as, as well as many other groups now um, that that enable those um, those existing spared cells to wake up. To, to divide, not to divide too much, and but to divide and make more heart muscle cells in a way that is faster than than producing scar tissue, which is what what we produce. Mm-hmm. For us, it's a quick fix. You you don't you you want to have scar tissue because it holds the 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 heart together, prevents rupture, and so on. But I I think ideally you want to have healthy contracting heart muscle sure and so we you know we and now it's a, a um, it's a booming field uh, for heart regeneration um, we we are interested in what those muscle cells and the cells around them release into the injury site that uh, allows regeneration we're interested in uh, the DNA sequences around the the key genes that are I- involved in in Heart regeneration programs and what turns them on to release those signals, say at the right time, mm-hmm. and what turns them off. So there's um, the the right amount of regeneration, which is kind of a central question in regeneration. It's just knowing how much. Um, and I think um, the, you know there's there's a sister field now where uh, many of us uh, have studied zebrafish for a while. I would say it's a, it was the first. Uh, I think convincing demonstration that heart regeneration happens. This is, this is real, and that we can study it and learn from it. Now there are many other models, in, including models that um, involve mammals at a very young age, where 
in the first day of life, for instance, a mouse has the ability to uh, mount a, a regenerative response rather than a, a scarring response. And so that's, that's very valuable as well. And I think this larger field coming together, studying these, these signals, has, is leading this optimism I mentioned where many people think in 10 years, 15 years, we, we will have something. We'll have something to work with. Clinicians will have something uh, to work with, taken from these systems and, and from, uh, you know, from, from uh, other uh, sources, and, and uh, in a way that um, heart regeneration can be stimulated to work better, say, in a, in a human heart attack. I see. Well, how, in the zebrafish model that you do use, how thoroughly have you been able to uh, characterize the the regeneration process. I know it's a, it's incredibly complex, is it not? Yeah, it's 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 never thorough enough. <laughs> okay. And for something like regeneration, it's it's not a series of of a hundred steps in a row. Regeneration is a relentless process. If you pause it, it will it, it, it'll wait, and then when you stop pausing, it will just come back. And so it's it, it's it's an interesting. Uh, 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 dynamic uh, uh, as well, but uh, I, you know, I can tell you, when you injure a zebrafish heart, there are changes in thousands of different genes. Let's mm. say a, a fish has twenty thousand genes. Thousands of these are changing uh, in some way in each cell type, and there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of changes in in DNA that um, uh, and how our our Chromosomes are, are wrapped up and packaged that that uh, are associated with those changes. And it's all it's all critical for um, for cells to divide and to produce more muscle. So um, I don't think you could ever really understand it. Um, the question is when when will we understand it well enough to um, achieve some applications like uh, generating real functional mature heart muscle say, in a dish, or stimulating that process uh, in a mammalian model system af- after an injury. And so we don't know, have to know everything. We could study it for a long time, and I, I, I hope to be studying it until I retire. Sure. Um, but we, we may know enough sooner than that to, to, to achieve some applications. Okay. Well, uh, so you think that ultimately regeneration of human cardiomyocytes uh, is is possible and and you've you've predicted somewhere in the 10 to 15 year range i'm gonna hold you to that in about 10 or 15 years in case i need it yeah that, that that's that's okay I'll, I'll have another answer by then but i i, I think generally very high optimism yeah that that's awesome how how can could could a process like this be be controlled and is cancer a concern here yeah that's a that's a great question, and I, th- I think that historically in the field, people have wondered, for instance, the question of why, why can't we regenerate? Why, why can zebrafish regenerate? That, I mean, it's a major question, and we could talk about that for, forever, but um, uh, it's, it's been suggested that mammals have a, uh, um, ha- there's a trade-off of, of, of sorts to reduce um, the possibility of, of in- increased incidence of, of cancer. So regeneration programs have been uh, dampened d- uh, d- during evolution. I, I think it's, you know, it, it's speculative uh, for sure, 
Um, but I, I think the issue of of being able to control regeneration is critical. Yeah. And if if there's an intervention, for instance, using vectors for for gene therapy to deliver um, these key regeneration factors uh, to the heart, for example. You, you don't want them to go uncontrolled because um, I think everyone can predict if, if you're going to promote or stimulate regeneration where it doesn't normally happen, you're going to need something really potent, something really biolog- biologically active, mm-hmm. uh, a drug or, or a gene on a gene therapy vector or a combination of these most likely. But you don't want to uh, treat the entire animal. You don't want to treat the, the entire organ. You, you just want to localize it to the injury site, and you want to stop it right. when, um, when you feel that um, the, the re- regeneration, fingers crossed, is, you know, is sufficient. And that's, a, that's a, a key issue that I don't think we're there yet in terms of the field. Now we're looking for signals. How, how do we jumpstart this? Uh, how, how do we think about the amount and the shape of the tissue to bring back, say, in any tissue? But, but um, zebrafish, salamanders, and, and we, for certain other tissues, we, we know how to stop it. Uh, but I, I think science hasn't, hasn't delivered that information yet. And, and so the interventions will, will have to have those. They'll have to have some way to, to, to turn it off. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that in uh, immunology, particularly cancer immunology, some of those uh, treatments like CAR-T, they build in, uh, I don't know what they call them, stop, stop checks. <laughs> I, so so uh, that is being pursued in other fields as well. I, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I think that regeneration is a, is a, a tissue regeneration is a field that's, that's followed or la- lagged behind a, a certain other fields with many more investigators and tools, and they're, they're definitely... Uh, following immunology, cancer biology, following neuroscience, mm-hmm. uh, we 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 can and, and are learning a lot uh, by copying. Uh, you know what 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 science is where science is going in those fields, and there's no shame in that. You know? Of course, well, I, I imagine that uh, cancer biology certainly would be able to learn some important information from regeneration biology, uh, for sure. And and um, there, there's a lot of interesting parallels and differences for for certain the same genetic programs are involved the same signals that that make uh, cells divide and make tissues grow and and bring a vascular supply blood to mm-hmm. to growing tissue um, a key difference uh, and I alluded to this earlier is that regeneration is controlled and it's patterned for instance the Salamander, when you amputate its limb, what happens is that um, that region is covered by a thin layer of skin. Then this big mass of tissue forms, this ball of proliferating tissue called the blastema, mm-hmm. very similar perhaps to a tumor. I mean, thought about simply. Sure. And it looks like it then. I mean, it's there's no shape to it. But then within uh, a matter of weeks or a couple of months, that mass differentiates or turns into an arm 
and a set of digits. And uh, soon that salamander can use that arm just like it had before. That's the difference uh, from, from cancer, is that somehow those, those intense growth programs are, are shut down and the animal can, um, can tune them, can direct them in to, to form a, 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 a normal adult structure. That's that's fascinating. That uh, I never, you know, you never think about the the fact that it's directed uh, as opposed to just random, which would would ultimately probably be cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Ken, tell you, you've kind of taken us there, but tell us about your uh, research related to appendage uh, regeneration, such as fin generation regeneration in, in zebrafish. Yes, well, this is this is um, yeah, a favorite of, of mine, and, and um, scientists have been studying how fish regenerate fins. Uh, it's similar to salamanders um, regenerating limbs. For mm-hmm. I mean, this this is a field that's uh, two hundred fifty years old and has fascinated people for you know for a long time. Is that true of and all fish, uh, or, or not necessarily? I mean, there are tens of thousands of, of species of, yeah. of, of um, bony ray finned fish, and they definitely have not all been tested for their ability to regenerate fins. And uh, I I think um, it's safe to predict that some some won't won't do it nearly as well as as the ones uh, that we study as as, as zebrafish. Um, yeah, we we. Um, I, I think um, it's it's a great model um, how how um, you could lose an entire complex skeletal structure, um, regain it through uh, a similar um, mechanism I was referring to in, in salamanders. So a blastema, this this mass of dividing cells forms also when you amputate a, a fin of zebrafish, uh, and it's from that tissue that the new rays uh, of skeletal bone are, are sculpted and the pigment pattern comes back. Zebrafish are striped, as you'd guess. The pigment pattern regenerates back in, in, in stripes. And um, uh, just a lot of great biology uh, to understand. And it's a wonderful model for bone regeneration. I see. Well, what is the role of, of genetics and gene regulation in, in the process? Well, it's that's central. That's so, a big question. So, um, <laughs> if you, if you think about uh, an animal that can regenerate its appendages, um, you, you you generally don't think of them having this unique set of genes, these regeneration genes that we don't have. Um, it's more likely, and the evidence indicates that um, zebrafish and newts. Um, and most vertebrates, they, we have the same set of genes. It's just that they're employed differently. So zebrafish have found some way after amputation of a fin to activate, turn on, and turn off genes, the same genes we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but they orchestrate uh, those genes to uh, participate in, in this program of, of regeneration, turn this off, turn this on, and all occurring in different cells in different ways. Somehow, that uh, again, and it is uh, it's a it's a it's a major undertaking, and it's complex. But somehow, they they do that in a way that 
leads to regeneration and then stops the process. And so um, I think gene regulation, that is those DNA sequences that are nearby these key genes that carry out regeneration, it's those sequences that change quickly during evolution, the so-called regulatory sequences. Mm -hmm. Epigenetics. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And so those are going to be very different in a zebrafish and a human, or even in a zebrafish and another species of fish. But I think, and uh, we've only been studying this for, uh, for a few years, but I think that they hold the key to understanding how regeneration happens, and maybe even why it happens in some animals and, and not in others. They, they're, they're, very, they're very different in different species, and, and um, we, we know from work over the past few years that um, there are sequences near genes important for regeneration that are absolutely critical for controlling uh, when they're on and, and when they're off. So you're, you're starting to see the pattern. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, um, how has what you've learned in this area of zebrafish uh, informed the potential for appendage regeneration in humans? Do you think at some point we will see that? Um, well, in all honesty, this this is a this is one of the most challenging um, the m- most challenging things we can we can ask from science I is, is <laughs> how, how do you, how, how do you get a human arm or leg to regenerate? Yeah. And so I think that's more complex, say, than, than heart regeneration. And um, what one would have to understand um, what's going on in, say, a, a, a zebrafish um, or a salamander. You'd have to understand how that blastema I mentioned is... is um, uh, is assembled, and why why it it doesn't naturally happen, say in a in a mammal like a human. Um, once you understand that, there'd have to be a way to instruct it to form. So we think that in order to achieve limb regeneration, you you have to first understand how to form this blastema. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so that's step one, and that that is that's decades. Sure. Um, once you uh, achieve that, then it's a matter of being able to instruct the correct pattern from that tissue. And that um, could be very complex as well. That could be decades right, also. Right. And, you know, with all of this, it's a matter of, of um, achieving advances in the delivery of these signals, of these factors to instruct that blastema to form in the right way from the right tissue and the right skeletal bone structures to form in the right sequence and to have them become functional. So it's advances in discovery, the science, and, and advances in engineering, the delivery. Uh, and um, uh, this, this coming together, certainly what we and others are doing in the field helps and is essential um, but that one, it's hard, it's hard to put a timeline on. I won't do it. <laughs> I, I won't hold you to it. <laughs> you are listening to Radio in Vivo, and my guest today is Dr. Kenneth Poss from Duke University. And we are learning all about his remarkable work in tissue regeneration. Ken, let's move on to your third major area of concentration in your research with zebrafish, spinal cord regeneration. Uh, let me quote you again. 
the path to an effective regenerative therapy for spinal cord injury requires a combination of molecular, cellular, electrostimulatory, and engineering approaches and be, can be guided by a deeper understanding of the inherent regenerative capacity of spinal cord tissue. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that statement, but uh, give it a try for us if you would. Well, it's this is another very co- complex pro- um, problem, and, and yeah. we are a very young lab studying spinal cord regeneration. Um, we have, uh, uh, in fact, only published one paper in this field, although I, I look forward to, you know, to more. Uh, but th- there, the 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 challenge is is um, uh, again it's 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 complex. Um, typically, after a, a spinal cord injury, say in in, in a mammal, there's inflammation of um, of the area. There's the division and proliferation of uh, support cells, uh, glial cells, they're called for uh, in the spinal cord, and it's a complex population of cells, the glia. Some, uh, many think, are, are good for the injury, and, but, but many, and probably the majority, uh, have uh, a similar uh, role as, um, uh, uh, in scarring as those cells that form the scar in the heart, mm-hmm, let's say. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a, a major scarring response from these glial cells uh, uh, after spinal cord injury that prevents any any functional um, regeneration of, of of nerves that have that have been severed, sure. And then from from then on, there's a, there's a, a spiral downward. the 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 idea of using animal models here um, doesn't get at all of the complications of, of spinal cord injury. When we work with with zebrafish, um, again, as I mentioned, they c- they can have a completely severed spinal cord injury, and uh, what, they, what they'll do instead, um, in contrast to us, so they'll form a bridge of tissue uh, from these, these glial cells uh, that will span the injury, that will connect these two severed ends of spinal cord tissue in a paralyzed animal. That, um, many think, and, and we think, will enable those nerves that have been cut to um, travel across it like a bridge and eventually find, find their connections and that there's enough of that activity of regeneration of those nerves that ultimately it's, it's sufficient for, you know, for function. They might not be perfect. We, we, we don't know, in fact, but there's enough to recover probably along with some so-called plasticity, some ability of the animal to use less uh, of functional uh, mm-hmm. Connections to to achieve more. Um, the the human spinal cord is much bigger <laughs> than a, a zebrafish spinal cord, and a bridge of spinal cord tissue in zebrafish will will not do much, you know, for the the size of and the extent of injury in, in a human. But we think we could learn from the activity of those cells that form that bridge. And we think zebrafish have this specialized and um, a dominant population of of those more helpful glial cells that don't contribute to forming a scar, but but more act as a friend 
okay. to, to the nerves. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so I, I, you know, it would be a mistake to think that, that we study it in zebrafish and, and directly move well, of to, <laughs> uh, helping people walk again after a, a spinal cord injury. But, but there's, there's certain aspects of it that, that we're excited about learning. That, that includes, um, you know, what are, what are these, what is this cell population like that forms this bridge and how, how, what, what are its key characters and, um, uh, uh, what what genes expressed in in these cells g- give it that ability to to form that bridge? And we've already described one of these factors that um, uh, that is released after an injury to the spinal cord in zebrafish, and that promotes this bridging activity. And uh, then that, that would described. be CTGF. Yes, connective tissue growth factor. And and that that's a pretty pretty major discovery. To kind of unlock that process, right? Well, it's it's a start. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and you know what what amazes me is um, uh, that there are just so very few groups studying spinal cord regeneration in a system like zebrafish. Just a handful worldwide, and uh, I think there's so much to learn um, uh, uh, from that. Now, spinal cord repair. And um, the idea of improving um, the conditions and improving repair for, um, for, for patients or for mammalian models that have had spinal cord injuries, that's a, that's a major field. But I think that there can be a lot more energy, um, people funding, uh, put into um, this study of those animals that do it really well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always surprised how, how, how few groups are, are, are studying spinal cord regeneration in, a, in, a, in an animal with high regenerative capacity in that tissue. Absolutely makes sense. And, and uh, as you've described that process in zebrafish, you called it one of nature's most remarkable feats of regeneration. And certainly given your description, it, it's, it is remarkable. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's amazing to see... Um, uh, and you know it's sad to see an animal um, that's been paralyzed, but the beautiful thing is you can't even tell. Yeah. You can't even tell several weeks later. Then that is just wild. Uh, do you plan to uh, take this uh, CTGF factor that you you have isolated and and test that, say, uh, in in mice? That is um, uh, a very clear next next step, and we are. In the process uh, of uh, you know of, of doing that, See working if it works with people. in mammals, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know we would never predict that. Just add this one protein and and uh, and reverse paralysis in a mouse, but mm-hmm. the idea is to look for for signals, for smaller things, for evidence of of any any type of difference uh, that um, you know that could be a good difference, and so that that's important to do as well as looking for. For other th- other factors, other genes um, that um, could have similar similar roles. Mm-hmm. Did, now, do do humans uh, express CTGF? Um, humans, I'm 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 not sure. Um, the um, rat and mouse typical mammalian models mm-hmm. will um, will express that factor in the spinal cord. Uh, when it's been in injured, okay, and well, given um, conservation, then it it 
do you suspect that uh, humans have it they, lurk, lurking in there somewhere? So yes, yes, they, <laughs> okay. are, they are likely to because mammalian models are often predictive of yeah. of humans, as can be zebrafish. Um, whether it's um, the amount or the um, placement of of CTGF um, that's um, expressed after the injury that's different between animal models or the way that zebrafish respond to it versus the way that a mammal responds to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those are just two of the possible differences here that could uh, explain uh, outcomes. You need more grad students. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I have, and I, and, and this is important to mention. I have a great lab of really talented graduate students and, and postdoctoral scientists who um, do all the experiments and have most of the ideas. There so. you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ken, let's move on to some more generalized thoughts about tissue regeneration. Uh, first of all, I wanted to ask you about how does regeneration differ from healing? Well, um, many people consider healing to be the first step in, um, in a regenerative event. And uh, typically, it's covering of the injury site with some type of thin cellular structure, epidermis or epithelium, to kind of uh, shut off the initial damage. And uh, that's something that, say, happens after most injuries in in some way. Internal injuries are different from external injuries. Um, Healing is is typically associated uh, with scar formation. Mm -hmm. And um, that um, is something that occurs through inflammation, through cells called fibroblasts, putting down a tough matrix to seal things in place. And that matrix will mature into a scar. And a scar, by definition, isn't supposed to go anywhere. It's supposed to be permanent, although it might, might um, mature over time. Um, regeneration uh, is um, thought by many to be a scar-free process, although it doesn't have to be. But um, uh, so uh, regeneration involves you know, a series of events that, that puts in functional tissue. Um, and it's not filled in by some um, quick fix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, that's why it, it would seem to be the better option uh, if we have it. Um, in some cases, it's, it's hard to imagine regeneration um, um, achieving what, uh, what it hopes to. For instance, if you can imagine brain regeneration in, in humans, um, por- large portions of degenerative uh, degenerated neurons. How how could we achieve regeneration in all the millions and billions of connections of those cells that were lost? Uh, or can we just get some process jump started, and there's some type of plasticity that would uh, allow again just enough uh, uh, to you know to function normally? So um, um, again, so so regeneration is, is it's um, means different things in different tissues. It has different challenges. Okay, okay. Well, um, I have another quote for you. You said at some point, someday waiting lists for organ transplants will be a thing of the past. 
Really? <laughs> Will tissue regeneration obviate the need for transplants? Is that what you're getting at there? Um, I think that the um, I, I think we all hope that it, it, it changes the, the frequency of, of transplants. And um, there are many ways uh, that um, y- you, you can see those lists being affected. Um, artificial organs and bioengineering um, is um, a complementary field to how, for instance, I, I, my, my own personal view of regenerative medicine. I would love to see um, a ways to regenerate every tissue that we have naturally, just stimulate the natural process and know how to turn it off. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that, that might not be the fastest way to achieving the, the, the goal, um, you know, which is functional, functional tissue. Sure. Um, and there are remarkable ongoing achievements in artificial organs that, that are occurring at the same time. And so uh, I, think it, I think that everyone would love for these lists to be a, a thing of the past. I think, I think they'll, they'll get shorter, although people are living longer. Um, and uh, and there, there are multiple ways to, 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 get at, uh, to get at that goal. Regeneration, regenerative medicine is, is, is one of those. Sure, but there there are several others uh, all also in the process at this point. Right, right, and they work together and not not independent of each other. Um, engineering is absolutely essential, uh, as I mentioned earlier, to to control the delivery of factors that that might provoke regeneration. In the gene therapy space, uh, that would be vectors that are safe, that evade our immune system, that target tissues. Mm-hmm. Um, in biomaterials, uh, these would be methods to release compounds uh, to stay intact in tissues in a in a in a healthy way. So um, there are advances that are that are, are needed in, in in many fields. Absolutely. Well, it's it's pretty cool that you are are in touch with many of these folks uh, because I wanted to also ask you uh, about before our time runs out. I uh, wanted to be sure to ask you about the initiative that you direct uh, at Duke called Regeneration Next. Uh, tell us about that collaborative program. Yes, well, I'm, I'm excited about Regeneration Next. That name um, indicates you know, the next stage of, of medicine and surgery. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a campus-wide program uh, at Duke uh, involving... Uh, basic scientists like myself, discovery scientists, um, engineers, clinicians, um, and uh, a, a large, large community. And the idea is to um, uh, to interact, to collaborate, to grow the community at Duke, and to get closer through research and applications to some of the things we've we've talked about to to regenerative therapies, to to regenerative therapies. Uh, for for every tissue, and our initial goals have been to have events bringing people together uh, to fund through um, uh, monies given to us by the School of Medicine at Duke to fund recruitment of talented new faculty in in this broad area uh, to fund trainees so that they can carry out experiments. Again, it's not the f- the faculty; it's not me 
who actually makes the discoveries. It's 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 the people who work so hard yeah. around the clock doing experiments that uh, do that. And so we 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 have a, a means to support them in in that work. Uh, and it's various outreach events and education as as well, and on the on the the goals of regenerative medicine and and the increasing impact uh, of 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 this field. I understand you have uh, about fifty uh, Duke faculty involved in in that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's there. It's more like seventy now. It's oh, really okay. gro- growing. Just look at some old news. Growing <laughs> and and growing, and we're 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 trying to bring new people. Uh, aboard within Duke, but also uh, from from outside as as well uh, to, to Duke through the mechanisms we we have uh, in in this in this program. I see. Is there a professional society in regenerative medicine? There are, are a number of them. There's uh, an international society for for stem cell research, which is the largest community. This is tens of thousands of researchers worldwide mm-hmm. uh, meeting once a year. And um, the the main topic there uh, is is stem cells, uh, including how to um, safely uh, uh, generate stem cells that uh, from from human patients, say from our skin, mm-hmm. through through great technologies available for the last decade or so. Yeah. Um, and uh, how how those cells could be employed safely to to generate tissue, potentially for for transplants or for disease modeling, but there's also a component interested in basic tissue regeneration. Wonderful. Well, Ken, it has been a great pleasure having you on Radio on Vivo today. You are doing some tremendously interesting and important work, and we wish you the best of luck for continued success. Thanks so much, Ernie. It's been a lot of fun. And we've got some great guests lined up in the coming weeks here on Radio on Vivo. You can check the website radioinvivo.net or our Facebook site for our lineup of upcoming shows. Join us again next time for Radio in Vivo, your link to the Triangle Science Community right here on Volunteer Power, WCOM-FM, Carborough and Chapel Hill. And if you enjoy the show, we ask that you support this station by visiting our website, wcomfm.org, and making a secure online contribution by clicking the Donate Now button. We rely on listener support to keep your voice in the community on the air. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.